Hi, this is K.S. Gurner, and you're listening to the Solo Nerdbird Podcast. And today, I wanted to continue on with the Inuyasha series with Season 4 overview. So, with the first episode, Gap Between the Ages, while Inuyasha, Miroku, and Songo investigate Naraku's abandoned castle with disappointment, Kagome must study for an upcoming test. Inuyasha becomes impatient and heads to the present to take her back to the, pra- to the past. Chaos ensues as Kagome struggles to catch up with her studies, while Inuyasha tries to adjust to the present time. It is reported that Inuyasha stopped a bank robber from stealing money, as well as rescued a girl from an apartment fire. Inuyasha was like your local friendly Spider-Man, stopping that thief and saving a little girl from that fire, and eventually bringing Kagome her lunch after she got in her home. That was the whole point. He actually was, was supposed to stay at the house like Kagome ordered him to, but then um, her mom was like, "Oh, she ran off and got her lunch. Um, how she's going to how she's going to eat? Like, how are we going to get it to her now?" And Inuyasha was like, "Okay, I'll just take it to her myself. It's no problem." So then a bunch of other stuff happened, and in between with Thief and the little girl on the fire, and he like I say, he looked like Spider Man jumping around from building to building and doing what he needed to do to get to Kagome, which I thought was really sweet. Uh, episode two. The female wolf demon and lunar rainbow promise. Ayame, the granddaughter of northern wolf tribe leader, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, searches for Koga, who is needed to unite the northern and eastern tribes, once proposing to marry her during childhood. Meanwhile, a mouth incarnation of Naraku is attacking everything in sight, and Koga decides to take off with Kagome to protect her only to run into an angry and jealous Ayame. It explained how Kogo once saved Ayame from the terror of the birds of paradise while promising to marry her during the night of the lunar rainbow. Now, I get the anime is set in the funeral, but what's with these men proposing to these girls? And a lot of them are teenagers, and even at this point, Ayame was, she looked even young. She looked like maybe 8 or 9, 10 years old. But what's with them proposing that these, these girls at such a young age with no intention of actually marrying them? Like, Miroku and Koga have done it. Inuyasha hasn't proposed to either Kikyo or Kagome, but he's made promises to both of them, which is proving to be difficult each time they all meet up with each other. So I'm just like, what is going what is with this recurring theme? I guess I have to look more into um, the feudal era type stuff. Uh, episode 3, Koga's Bride to Be, which is a continuation of the previous episode. When Naraku's mouth incarnation arrives, Koga must save Kagome and Ayame from danger. When Inuyasha and the others later appear, the mouth incarnation reveals that Naraku abandoned it, abandoned it in the castle. The mouth incarnation explodes when Koga and Ayame are consumed due to Koga's shards of the Shikon jewel. Though he finally remembers having proposed to Ayame, Koga disregards ever recalling that night. To me, it's a shame Koga praised Kagome about her loyalty and bravery um, after attempting to save Shippo by sacrificing herself after being kidnapped by the wolf demon tribe by Koga and his tribe. Yet, he himself is a coward for lying to Ayame about forgetting about their engagement. By the end of the episode, he doubts he'll survive after avenging his pack. It seems he's resigned himself on not 
bothering with leaving a wife behind. Although he that that contradicts with his desire to make Kagome his wife, which kind of doesn't really make any sense. Anyway, one two at least it doesn't make any sense right now. But as of this season, this episode doesn't really make sense to me. Uh, episode four: The Evil Within Demon's Head Castle. Inuyasha and his companions run into an old woman named Haori. I'm not sure I pronounce her name. Anyway, who introduces herself as a demon exorcist. She tells them that a head of an uni haunting a nearby morgue. It's like a nearby village, pretty much. Um, after being risen from its grave within a neighboring castle. When the head of the uni comes out, Miroku deduces that it is an illusion. Inuyasha believes that the lord of the castle may have been possessed. Miroku goes with the princess to the basement of the castle to absorb, to absorb, absorb, uh, oh my god, not absorb, observe the uh, skeletons of the monks and priests who have failed to slay the head of the uni. What I like most about Miroku is his instinct. His ability to read people. Um, he was a swindler for a long time before he joined the demon hunting gang. So he can read a bunch of bullcrap a mile away. He just plays along with um, whatever he needs to play along with for the reward and the voluntary hospitality that the people that he saves provides to him. Um, but he actually knows what he's doing when he performs exorcisms or blessings on villages and temples. Episode 5, Secret of the Possessed Princess. Inuyasha realizes the demon, that the demon lord is a phantasm. Uh, I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure what that is. Um, pretty much, I, I guess, again, like an illusion, like a puppet. Like, he is, this is not real. He's been dead. Um, meanwhile, Songo and the um, the uh, other exorcists find out the demon princess who had temporarily paralyzed Miroku is the head of the Oni. Elsewhere, Kagome and Shippo stumble upon the body of the real princess being the host of the head of the Oni. Inuyasha and Miroku work together to defeat the head of the Oni. With Every demon they face, ever since Noroku disappeared, the gang is learning um, more about the de demonic aura in the surrounding villages that had a lot to do with Noroku and has much to do with the increase in demonic activity. Like, even the um, exorcist mentioned that she was like, you know, for some odd reason, you know, there's been a huge increase in demonic activity and um, the demonic aura that was around is not really around anymore, and that had a lot to do with um, Naraku. Episode 6, Kikyo's Lonely Journey. Kikyo meets an old male bandit um, who explains that he was a criminal 50 years ago. He unveils that Onigumo sent him to strike Kikyo to, to steal the Shikonjo. However, Inuyasha gouges out his right eye, causing him to um, immolate Onigumo in revenge. An eye incarnation of Naraku, who abandoned the castle, who, who was also abandoned the castle. So he, it was an, the mouth incarnation 
and this eye incarnation of Naraku, they were all abandoned in the castle. So he seeks after this bandit, this old bandit shard of the Shikon Jewel. Nevertheless, the eye incarnation is electrocuted due to Kikyo's sacred arrow, and the bandit requests that Kikyo bury him, like actually bury his a lock of hair, um, as his dying wish. And I thought, like, how convenient that when Kikyo goes searching for Naraku, someone from his past, the exact person who placed him in that cave and into Kikyo's life, stumbles into her life once again at this point in time. Uh, also, multiple uh, multiple incarnation re no sorry multiple incarnations of Naraku go hunting for uh, jewel shards in search for full uh capable bodies instead of just floating heads in this case a floating eye in the previous case it was um uh um the the, the mouth so it was like the mouth eye and head so it's like different body parts looking for a full capable body like they they all um escaped from the castle i'm not sure where the other one came from the other uh, the um oni with the head, but all the other two came from the castle itself. So, episode seven, the three sprites of the monkey god. Um, three mischievous monkey sprites are told to be ravaging the crops of the village. It is later found out that the monkey sprites are searching for their deity enshrined in the village. They have sealed an inconvenient stone effigy. F Effigy? I don't know how to pronounce that word. It's basically like inconvenient seal the stone um, to Inuyasha as leverage until the stone of their monkey deity is located. So they pretty much had a stone glued to Inuyasha's hand during the entire time. It's like a, it's not even a stone, it's like a boulder that he's carrying around with him the entire time. The monkey deity has been awakened soon after, and the seal of the stone has been released from Iyasha. Now, I initially thought this episode was a filler episode, but towards the end, uh, the monkey god provides the gang with a bit more information about Naraku's whereabouts. It was also um, a, gr a great way to show Kagome's talents that wasn't connected to Iyasha or with violence. Episode 8, Nursing Battle of the Rival Lovers. Kagome becomes ill and, in, and is advised to return to her time in order to recover and get better. Her schoolmates ultimately drop by for a visit to console her. Inuyasha, who is very concerned for her health, gathers many ingredients from the dwellings of many demons. Kagome must study for the high school comprehensive exams, minding the fact that she is still ill. Inuyasha concocts a very old medicinal cure, one that his mother created when he was a child, using the ingredients which um, I'm sorry, which uh, which reveals her common cold, which relieves her common cold instantly, allowing her to take the comprehension comprehension exams. So this episode definitely felt like a filler episode. Yes, we witnessed demons wreaking havoc throughout the land since Naraku disappeared, even when um, we even see uh, Kaede, but we don't learn any more information about Naraku's whereabouts, 
However, Inuyasha and Kagome's relationship goes up another notch in trust and intimacy when Inuyasha goes out of his way to care and provide for Kagome while she's sick and insists on studying for an important test for school the following day. Episode 9, Sota's Brave Confession of Love. Inuyasha and Kagome notice that Sota is lovesick. Sota learns, I'm sorry, Sota turns to Inuyasha for advice to impress his love interest, Hitome. Sota first attempts to confess his love for Hitome by offering a bouquet of roses, but to no avail. Inuyasha tries to build up Sota's confidence. As Inuyasha and Kagome are watching from afar, Sota manages to willingly ask Hitome to be his girlfriend, which she shyly accepts. Now, this episode was really, really cute. Another filler that boosted morale between Inuyasha and Kagome and even Sota. Inuyasha really played the big brother role really well. Someone he himself wished he had, I'm pretty sure he wished he had growing up in place of Shoshonaru. Episode 10, The Suspicious Faith Healer and the Black Kirara. Kiroro, not Kirara, Kiroro, a two-tailed demon cat of a village, is the reason behind the bad luck befalling the village, being sent into exile by a faith healer named Tessa. Shibo witnesses a girl named Kiyome, I want to say her name is Kiyome, taking away Kirara, being mistaken for Kiroro. Shibo and Kiyome later find Kiroro after being hoarded with a plague of rats. Meanwhile, Inuyasha Kagome, Miroko, and Songo realize that Tesso is a rat demon who has elusive powers. Kiroro is able to reunite the parties in an effort to defeat Tesso. This was another episode where Shippo falls in love and saves a girl in distress. It's difficult to remember he isn't just some little boy who can't fend for himself or have desires for companionship like the others. One of his fears in a previous episode that was revealed showed his fear of being left alone like when his um, dad was killed. But having a girl around that he likes is, is different, you know. Shippo's talents may not be as strong like the others, but his willpower should never be underestimated. Episode 11, Plot of the Walking Dead. Enter Inju, a freelance potter responsible for creating the clay soldiers. Enter, ooh, this is a long name. Uh, I didn't catch it. Kawaramu, a warrior accountable for commanding the demonic clay soldiers. They both have been resurrected by their quote unquote mother, Usaru. Usaru? She was the one. She was the ogreist, um, the ogreist sorceress demon. She was the same woman that resurrected Kikyo. That's who she was. Inuyasha and his companions fight their way past the demonic clay soldiers. Inuyasha ultimately uses the Tetsaiga to um, wipe out Kararamu. Kar- Kar- 
Kawar Omaru. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm butchering that name. I didn't catch it when I was watching the episode. Along with the demonic clay soldiers, Inju, who at first wanted to die, decides to give life a chance. In this episode, I love the message about giving life a chance. When the choice to give up doesn't pan out the way you expected it to, picking yourself up again and giving life a chance is really what is really all you can do at this point. Um, there's work that has to be done, hard, strenuous, heartbreaking work. But in the end, the choices in the life, the, the choices that you make in this life is yours. You pretty much just have to own it and make it yours. Episode 12, The Mysterious Lecherous Monk. Inuyasha's group see that Miroku innocently stirs up trouble with the villages within each village they travel across as he has been framed for being a fake and a flirter with the girls. Apparently a monk named Miroku being described as mysterious and perverted is seen wandering the countryside while um, they figure out that it's actually Hachi, uh, Miroku's raccoon dog slave which raccoon dog I, I didn't even know that's what he was he was a slave I didn't even, that's uh that's even more problematic than Miroku himself wow um that Hachi is the culprit uh as they all are faced with a weasel demon he is the one who has been imitating Miroku the whole time uh upon defeating the weasel demon Miroku makes sure Hachi never repeats his actions uh, just like how Hachi says in the episode, because Miroku ended up asking him advice. I was like, how did you get these women to fall for you? Like, how did it work? Because, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm charismatic, but I never really had them falling over me like how you did. And Hachi was like, oh, indifference is the key. And that's how I thought about this episode. I felt indifferent. This was definitely a filler. It didn't move the plot along at all, but sometimes a little filler is what the audience needs. It, it doesn't have to be serious or an info dump. All the time, right? Episode 13, The Sacred Jewel Maker Part 1. A young male scholar named Izumo explains to Inuyasha that, and his companions that a snake demon um, has been creating false Chikon jewels to share with, with share with many demons. They discuss about the origins of the force, of the four souls that constructs the Chikon jewel. When arriving to an abandoned town, an adolescent boy unravels that a group of demons captured his parents the night before. Uh, the snake demon later shows up with the group of with a group of demons, with the same group of demons, I should say, implanted with fake chic on jewels as Inuyasha and his companions strive in trying to conquer them. Um, I immediately recognized two of the demons the gang defeated before. The first was the water sprite that pretended to be a water goddess, or the water goddess, um, and fed on human sacrifices. The second, which I think the group encountered before the water sprite, um, it was the frog demon um, who also fed on human sacrifices, but I think at that time... The villagers believed that the Lord was taking 
the women as wives and not as sacrifices. But I immediately it, it, it struck me as it struck me as odd that the, the, the gang didn't recognize the water spirit in the frog demon immediately as soon as they saw them. So I thought that was interesting. Episode 14, again, The Sacred Jewel Maker, Part 2. Inuyasha and his companions become scattered due to the fierce attack from the group of demons. Kagome startlingly discovers that Izumo becomes a, um, a demon named uh, Kayo, I believe is how you, uh, Kuyo? I'm not sure how you pronounce it, at Nightfall, who intends to create a true Shigon Jewel by using Kagome's spiritual abilities and the souls of her friends. When Dawn approaches, Kuyo reverts back to human form as, as um, Izumo, passing away due to the toxin of the fake Shigon Jewel. So he was basically human during the day and de um, a demon at night, which is different from Inuyasha, where he's uh, a demon all the time, except during a new moon, he is human for like that whole that whole night. And then there's gonna be another instance of um, another half demon that we come across who changes during the night at some points back to his um, half human form. But we'll get to that at some point. But in regards to this episode. Um, and I initially wanted to agree with Inuyasha after his um, battle with Izumo when he was in his um, demon form that it doesn't matter where you're born since you can't control the aspect of your life but it's what you make of it I agree on that aspect of your life is uncontrollable and decided before you're born. Your race, ethnicity, the country, and city, the uh, socioeconomic background as well. But to me, that kind of stuff actually matters. Decisions about your life have already been made systematically. Uh, the school you go to, the people who you will most likely interact with, and even more people you're less likely to meet because of the uncontrollable aspects that make up your life. And Yasha was down was going down the same path as um, as Izumo before he met Kikyo and Kagome. Having friends and people who depend on him saved Inuyasha, it gave him purpose. Seeking knowledge also gave Izumo purpose when he was human, but his demon side craved power and greed. All the knowledge in the world could give him. Unfortunately, that overwhelming desire destroyed him and the world became less beautiful because of it. Episode fifteen, Jock and Falls Ill. Now, when I when I initially saw this episode, the title of the episode, I thought it was Jock and Falls Three. I was like, "What happened to the not not Falls Three, Fails Three? Because he's there was other episodes where I think it was Jock and Fails Two or something like that. I was like, or it, I think in another episode in the previous season it was Jock and Fails at trying to capture or trying to steal the Tetsaika away from Inuyasha. And I was like, what happened to part one and two of Jockin Falls? But it says Jockin Falls L. But anyway, Inuyasha and his, and his companions are on their way to visit Jininji. Meanwhile, Jockin is attacked and poisoned by the poisonous hornets, Naraku's poisonous hornets. Uh, he, is a, he advises Ren 
to find a medicinal herb at Janinji's village before sunset that would soon would sooner or later cure his illness. Shoshomaru is also led to the village by a weakened hornet in hopes of locating the whereabouts of Naraku. Ren finds the herb atop a mountain cliff, and Shoshomaru later catches up to her. As dusk arrives, Jonkin is given the herb and is restored back to health. I was a bit disappointed we don't see much of Jininji in this episode, as he's one of my favorite like side characters, or at this point, recurring side characters. And again, when I mentioned before how we'll meet back up with another half-demon, in this episode, uh, Janenji was hiding under like a, like a sheet because he was back to his human form. And we don't really get to see his human form. We just saw those really big, bright... These, at this point, it was like really shining, blindingly bright blue eyes under the sheet. And he refused to come out in front of Ren. But... And yeah, it, it all varies, which we're learning a lot more, which I think is important. We're learning a lot more what happens with um, with half-demons when they return back to their human forms at some point. But since we didn't get to see much of Janinji, we got to see a little bit of Jaken, who's also one of my favorites. And I feel like a little bit of both is better than nothing. I have a feeling Ren is... a I guess it's supposed to be Shishomaru's soulmate in a way. I, I think he, I think in his encounter with Inuyasha when he was fighting with him, um, he actually spotted his two-headed demon horse. Like, of, of course, he he knows his horse. I mean, he senses his, basically his property. You know, when even when they don't think he notices, like I think he noticed his demon horse headed for the mountains with run on top of it. How else was he able to save her in the nick of time? I mean, not just because of TV magic, but I think he truly sensed her distress. And it goes beyond, I think it goes beyond him saving her with the Tensega. Tensega, I should say. Episode 16. Let's see here. Kirara, come home! Kirara, come home! Kirara mysteriously disappears one night, causing Inuyasha's group to worry. Shupo unpleasantly examines that the others are to blame for using Kirara for their personal interests. They all encounter a baboon demon in a nearby forest, suspecting that he consumed Kirara. Songo recalls to when Kirara was first introduced into her life. This motivates her in defeating the baboon demon. It is later found out that Kirara was with Miyoga, who was asked to carry back a whetstone for the Tetsaiga. And, uh, Shippo was told to tell the others, but he was so sleepy that he forgot to tell, so got a lot of glass from the others that he apparently knew, but pointed fingers at them. Kagome lets Inuyasha punish Shippo, but orders him to be gentle. I think Shippo accusing the group of driving Kirara away was him really expressing his grievances with them instead. He secretly thinks that they take him for granted and is resentful towards them at times. He had no business spying on them when he did, although he wasn't wrong about their mistreatment of Kirara. Episode 17, Kikyo and Kagome alone in the cave. 
Soon Kikyo and later Kagome wind up ensnared in the belly of a demon cloaked as a cavern that devours the spiritual energy of priestesses. With her knowledge and experience, Kikyo leads Kagome to the heart of the demon and later uses her last depleted source of energy to merge Kagome's shards of the Shikon Jewel into one. With her latent potential, Kagome successfully shoots a Shikon arrow into the eye of the heart, dissolving the body of the demon. I'm guessing Kagome was able to withstand the demon's draining powers against the priestesses that embark on the cave because she was fully alive as opposed to Kikyo, but then what about the other priestesses that had come across the cave and died in there as well? What is it about Kagome that makes her so strong? Besides besides that, I, I mean, I liked how their meaning didn't have much to do with Inuyasha like they normally do. Um, they weren't pitted up against one another for his affection or attention like usual when they all meet with each other. Without him, there was nothing to fight over other than their lives, other than, you know, you know, saving their own lives, saving their own skin to get out of the cave. Right, episode 18. Koga and Shishomaru, a dangerous encounter. Jinta and Hakaku, I think that's how you pronounce their names. I don't think I even knew their names were until this episode. Uh, it's the, le the left hand and right hand man of Koga, the, pretty much the two remaining members of the wolf, wolf demon tribe. They encounter Shishomaru, Jaken, and Ren. Unaware that Koga was responsible for Ren's traumatic experience with wolves. Uh, while Inuyasha and Koga quarrel over Kagome's food, the two wolf demons, Jinta and Haku, Hakaku, <laughs> ask uh, Kagome about Shishomaru. The two attempt with little success to prevent Koga and Shishomaru from meeting when the two run up upon each other. They mutually team up to save Ren from some demons. It was, honestly, it was only a matter of time before the two remaining members of the wolf demon tribe finally stood up for themselves, which they do in this episode against Koga, because, like, his... The thing is, throughout the throughout the season, Inuyasha, Koga, and Shishomaru's only goal was to find Rocco. But in their search for him, they, they drag along other people... They have come to depend on them, and their desire for revenge against Naraku sometimes blinds them from their other responsibilities that's right in front of them. Like, we see every time we encounter, every time the gang encounters Koga, it, the encounter happens, and then he, you know, spins away in his little tornado or whatever, and goes away, and then, like, a couple minutes later, here come the other two guys who are, you know, running in bare feet with the, their wolves, with actual physical wolves, trying to catch up with Koga. Like, where in the world did Koga go? Why does he keep leaving us behind? And eventually they stood up for themselves in this episode. But then being without Koga reminded them what their actual mission was. Not only because they can't defend for themselves without him because he has those shards, but it... It reminded them, like, hey, Koga is protecting us. Koga is fighting for us. And not only for us, but for our other fallen brothers that uh, 
Naraku had tricked into, you know, coming into his castle and, and outright slaughtering, basically. But all in all, season four, I mean, there was a couple of filler episodes, but honestly, I think this whole season was a filler. Which, I mean, it's not bad. Again, sometimes it's needed to get from point A to point B. Like, you can't go from action, 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 info, 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 info. Sometimes it's got to be some stuff in the middle to kind of break it apart. It's like how you get from point A to point B to point C. Well, it's got to be some stuff in the middle to kind of break that all apart for it to make sense to for it to transition. And then it was nice to see what Koga was doing. It was nice to see what Shoshomaru was doing. And it's not just about Inuyasha, Kagome, uh, Shippo, Miroku, Sango, even Kirara, even um, Mioga. You know, it's more, it, it's all entwined with each other. Like, they're all, we're getting pieces of information. We may not be getting it from Inuyasha in the gang here, but we're getting it from Shush, uh, with Shishomaru, Jock, and right? We're getting it from Koga and, you know, his little bit of people that he has left, which I thought was nice. So, again, that was Inuyasha, an overview of Season 4. I actually watched that in the um, dub, English dub version on Hulu, which is currently up now. I believe all the seasons, all I think it's seven seasons is up now. And I believe the movies are up as well on Hulu. And I think they may be on Netflix USA as well. I'm not really sure. But I would love to hear any of your thoughts on this season or the previous seasons i've done season one two and three and i plan on pursuing all the way up to season seven i'm not really sure if i'll do the movies um uh, from what i've read you don't really have to do those but i mean if you all want me to or if they're interesting enough i, I may pursue them as well so again this has been ks garner and you've been listening to the solo nerdberg podcast thank you